Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, October 21st, we are studying Amos chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. The prophet continues to speak the word of the Lord against the foreign nations around Judah and Israel, and he's continuing to draw the circle tighter and closer to home. Today's text is the fifth in the series of eight here in chapters one and two of Amos, and it is a judgment against Ammon. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, thank you. It's good to be back. Pastor Preuss, today we, we have the oracle against the Ammonites. Verse three, 13 is going to say, For three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. We've got that familiar refrain, this time against the nation of Ammon. And this is a, a nation that we hear quite a bit about in Holy Scripture. God's Word has much to say about them. And so probably the place to start is with the origin of the Ammonites. And it's found in Genesis 19. And this is one of those accounts that we usually skip in Sunday school with the kids. Uh, how, how do the Ammonites come about? Yeah, it's, it is a really, a really an awful story. Uh, Genesis 19, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> and you have the two angels who go there, uh, whether they're the two of the three persons of the Trinity, well, that's another discussion. But anyway, uh, Sodom is destroyed, and, uh, and Lot and his wife and two daughters leave. They leave their, their, uh, their husbands or their fiancés behind, his, his sons-in-law they leave behind because they don't believe. Uh, and Sodom, of course, is destroyed by burning sulfur, uh, Lot's wife turns around and she perishes. She turns into a pillar of salt, one of the most bizarre um, uh, wonders in, in Holy Scripture. Um, and then they end up hiding in a cave. Uh, they, they did go to a, a small town, and then he gets scared. Uh, Lot gets scared, and he leaves that. And you can kind of understand the fear. I mean, burning sulfur came down, and there are lots of people trying to explain what actually happened. Maybe there's a got such a meteorite that exploded right before. But either way, the, the city was completely destroyed. And um, Lot's daughters get this idea that they are the only human beings left on Earth, or at least that's what seems to be the case. Uh, let's see here. Lot's older older daughter said uh, that uh, our father is old and there's not a man on Earth to come into us after the manner of all the Earth. You can see they really are distraught, but what they plan to do is they get their father drunk, and then at night they uh, uh, they seduce him, and it says that he does not know when he gets it, when he goes down, when he gets up, so he has no idea what's happened, uh, or at least uh, doesn't know the details. So both the older and the younger daughter do this on two uh, two nights, and uh, the one she conceives and bears Moab, who is the father of the Moabites. And the younger, she conceives and she bears a son named Ben-Ami, which means son of my people. And he is the father of the Ammonites. And uh, Moab and Ammon, the nation of Ammon, uh, they're, I mean, they're brothers. And uh, they pretty much remain brothers as, as nations. They have a pretty close relationship. They worship similar gods. Uh, they fight together in wars. Um, and uh, they have a similar problems with with Israel. I think for, for the purposes of, of reading Amos, one of the very helpful things about this account is that we see that the Ammonites are uh, related to the Israelites and to the, the people of Judah, unlike the, the first three, Damascus, Gaza, and Tyre. The previous one to our text today was against Edom, which is also a relative of Israel. Now again, with the Ammonites, we have another relative of Israel. So within the progression of the book of Amos, 
what's happening is the prophet is, is drawing that circle tighter around the people of Israel. He's, he's coming closer to home. He's now talking to people who are related to the people of God. And so it goes back to, to Lot and the ancestral relationship that he had with his uh, younger daughter. That's where you get the Ammonites. And then we continue to find out more about the Ammonites as the Old Testament then progresses there from, from Genesis 19. And, and some of it's good and, and some of it's bad. It's a, a bit of a mixed history when it comes to the, the Ammonites in the Old Testament. Where, where do you want to take us next, Pastor Preuss? Well, yeah, uh, so I guess just a little bit of just basic stuff. So the Ammonites are located in eastern, east and north of, uh, of Moab. So they're, like, they're really close to the wilderness, so northeast of, of Israel. Uh, they're... Uh, and the capital city is Rabah, which is mentioned in the text. But yeah, they they uh, they have an interesting history because of them of, of being related to Abraham. So Lot is Abraham's nephew. And it's kind of like with the Ishmaelites. I mean, God blesses Ishmael and makes him the the, the father of twelve princes. And uh, you know, even Esau with Edom, I mean, he does bless Edom uh, to a certain extent as well. So in Deuteronomy when uh, it records how the Ammonites, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, where it records how the, the Israelites are traveling through, um, and God tells them who they can kill and who they, uh, whom they can not kill. Uh, and when they start approaching the Ammonites, God says, no, don't. Uh, and they actually, and we get, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 2 where we get this little history of Deuteronomy, or, or, or of the Ammonites. So he says, and when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. So you see, God does bless them. You can't see that, I mean, yes, Israel is the chosen people, but God does actually have regard for the other nations as well. Uh, it, it is also counted as a land of Rephaim, uh, Rephaim, formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim, a people great and many, tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place, as he did for the people of Esau, who live in Sire, when he destroyed the Horites before them, and they dispossessed them and settled uh, in their place even to this day. So you see, uh, God gives the descendants of Lot, uh, the Ammonites, land by dispossessing these great people. It's very similar to what he does for Israel. Uh, these people are greater and mightier. They're terrified. You remember the people, uh, how they were, they said they're giants, they were like grasshoppers, and they were terrified of the people of Jericho, and God is the one who destroys them. Well, he did the same thing for the Ammonites, who are the descendants of, uh, of Lot, and he also does, he did the same for uh, the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, even though God chose Jacob over Esau to be the, the father of, uh, well, of the Messiah. But then, immediately after this, in verse 23, uh, as for the Avim, who lived in the villages as far as Gaza, Kaftorim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed, the, uh, destroyed them and settled in their place. Rise up and set out on your journey and go on the valley of Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hands Sihon the, Am the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. So he, uh, he, he says, don't kill and don't dispossess the Ammonites. And I'm not giving you land of, of Esau, but the Amorites, you go and kill them. So God makes this distinction. He shows, it's, it's interesting. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't even know if I can say something theologically profound about it yet, but uh, he does make distinctions about these people, and he does have regard for them. And you do see that as also these lines mix with Israel. He says, you know, don't mix with the nations. Well, of course they do. And uh, the Ammonites are used by God, and they're blessed by God. Uh, and it's, I think that's an important thing to remember as when we look at the verse that we have today, where he just threatens complete just destruction against them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, No, it, and I think you're right. It's, it's interesting. I'm, not, not, I'm also not sure exactly what to say theologically about it either, but just to see how... Well, maybe maybe we could say this theologically that that even though Israel is his chosen people, he never forgets his love for all the nations as their creator. 
and and you see it yeah. in certainly in all of these, um, and especially with the Ammonites, given their physical relationship to Abraham through his nephew Lot. Um, and, and that's that's not saying much, but it is it is saying something, I think. So so you've got the Ammonites. They're living to the northeast of of Israel, and on the one hand, God's blessed them with that land. He's given them that land as an inheritance. But it's not as if they're worshiping him correctly all the time. In fact, we probably know more about the Ammonites in terms of their false religion than anything else. What, what do we know there, Pastor Preuss? Well, the Ammonites, their god is Milcom. And it's a little bit confusing. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we hear about how Solomon marries other wives, which you know is a big problem. And then he sets up these uh, altars for Milcom, which is called the abomination of the Ammonites. And that's in verse 5. But then in verse 7, it says that Moloch is the abomination of the Ammonites. So I'm not sure. I mean, it kind of seems like Moloch and Milcom uh, might be the same false god. Now, people probably don't recognize Milcom, but I think people who go to, who go to Bible study and stuff like that, you might be familiar with, with Moloch. Moloch was a horrible god because they would... Uh, not only are they worshiping a false god, but they would sacrifice their own children to Moloch. And there are certain kings of Israel and even Judah, uh, Manasseh, uh, he sacrificed his son, I think Ahaz did, um, and uh, Solomon set temples. I don't know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Solomon actually sacrificed his son, but he set up there, the, the altars to him. Uh, and so this is a really a, a terrible thing. It might also connect to that whole talk about ripping over, open pregnant women that we have in our text, uh, I mean, the reason why God is punishing uh, the Ammonites. So, uh, and uh, so Milcom uh, is very similar to uh, to Shamash. Uh, these, I kind of think that these are all the same gods, or at least they're very, they're very close related. I mean, these gods, they're kind of like they're, you'd have different nations, and they kind of share mythologies, and they might have a different name based on their language or based on a slightly different story. Um, but either way, these gods are, are horrible, uh, they're violent, uh, they set up a false hope, uh, people are sacrificing their children in hopes that it'll give them a better life and maybe a better life for their other children. You might recognize that argument uh, in a more contemporary uh, setting. Uh, and, uh, and then also what's horrifying is that Israel started whoring after these gods of the Ammonites this abomination, and the word abomination, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a particular word that's used in Scripture, uh, talking about like a, a really hated false god. I mean, this is, uh, it, it's only used to things that God really does detest. And Israel follows after these gods, they trust in them, it leads them astray. Hmm. So how, how, does that, how does that end up happening then? I mean, how, how in the history do the Ammonites sort of um, infiltrate, I don't know if we can say, say that, um, Israel, so that they begin to, you know, whore after their, their false gods who commit these abominations? Well, I mean, uh, what we see in Scripture, you kind of have to use a little bit of imagination to, to see how it works, but, I mean, you know, monkey see, monkey do. They, they don't get rid of the Ammonites, they're there, they're their neighbors, they see what they do, and they incorporate their worship. Uh, maybe it started with uh, 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 with them having like a bad crop, and then they say, oh, they had a good crop. Well, maybe I'll worship their god. Uh, we know in First Kings the reason why it happened is because Solomon took on many wives, and he married uh, an Ammonite woman uh, for a treaty, and it made him more powerful. Uh, and then, of course, to make her happy, then brings in her false gods into Judah. So I mean, that's how it was introduced into into Judah and Jerusalem, or at least permanently, because they didn't leave. They just stayed there. It took a very long time to get that out because Solomon brought it in. Um, but I mean, it's it, it, it's like many of the other gods that you know, monkey see, monkey do. Um, and then also you you also have this this hostility of the Ammonites too, which I guess is maybe that's a, a different topic, but. Um, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, where I was going was, you know, we, we've seen, so the Ammonites are related to Israel, and on the one hand, the Lord says, don't don't take that land from them, that's their inheritance. Yet the idolatry of the Ammonites that Israel ends up falling into, well, and 
maybe maybe take a step back from that, I guess. The idolatry of the Ammonites means that they're going to be opposed to the false, the true God, the Lord. And so that means there's going to also be this hostility between the Ammonites. I, I think that's where I was trying to go. Not not very well, but but yeah, so so how then how do we get to this hostility between the Ammonites and the Israelites? Well, the the, uh, the the hostility comes from like what you said. They worship they worship false gods. Um, the Ammonites definitely don't want to have a nation that's going to be right there. So when they first come in, uh, God does tell them not to attack. But then the the Ammonites, as well as Esau, they aren't friendly to them. They don't let them in. They don't let them go by their highways and things like that. Uh, so they're they're hostile to them uh, from the very beginning. Um, and then God also will use them uh, to be to be hostile, uh, or use them for discipline. But but another thing is that because of their hostility, because they didn't welcome them with water and bread, uh, he talks about this in Deuteronomy. He says, you know, you, you cannot marry them. So there's, there's an interesting section actually in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter, let's see, 23. So in Deuteronomy 23, he talks about who's able, and he's really talks about the men, I mean, the women, uh, because like, you can have a woman, I guess, marry in, and such, but he's talking about who's able to enter the assembly to worship. So they talk about, you know, if you have, if you're like mutilated in your genitals or something like that, you cannot be part of the assembly. And they says if you are the offspring of a of a, a forbidden union, you're not allowed to go for the tenth generation. You're not allowed to worship. So he separates. So you're right. Yeah, he says leave the Ammonites alone. There is a little hostility there when they come in. But then there's also this big, yeah, leave the, the Ammonites alone. I've given them this land, but you're not going to join with them. Uh, they're distinct. They don't worship me. Uh, and so you may have no, uh, no union with them. Uh, so he forbids the, the children of forbidden unions to come into worship, which would be like children of incest, which, you know, kind of harkens back to, Moab and, uh, uh, and and the Ammonites, and then he also uh, then says that you cannot let an Ammonite into the assembly up to the tenth generation. So he uses the tenth generation again, which I I'm kind of wondering whether that just might mean in uh, you know indefinitely, just forever, because ten generations. I, mean, I don't even I don't think I can trace back my lineage 10 generations I and mean, it's quite a that's a long genealogy um so he has the same uh, forbidding for the product of an of a uh, forbidden union and the ammonites and uh to the 10th generation but then he says it's because that they didn't welcome them with bread and water so he he doesn't necessarily say it's because of their um incestuous beginnings um, so it's kind of an interesting connection, uh, but rather he says it's because of their inhospitality inhospi- that they were cruel, which kind of follows along. I mean, the Ammonites kind of seem to be a cruel people, and their worship with uh, their worship of gods that demand sacrifice of babies, with their inhospitality to Israel, their relatives, uh, to joining up with other nations to fight against Israel, their rejoicing when when Israel falls, when Jerusalem falls. Um, so they do seem to be, and then of course in our text, the ripping open of pregnant women. Um, so there is this, leave them alone, I've blessed them, but then also don't be unified with them. And then you also kind of just see the little bit of the character of the Ammonites and where their false worship leads them. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of, they're, they're messy, they're kind of a messy people. Right. Well, and I think I think the Ammonites become a very good example of of what we've said else other times on on sharper iron that that the god you worship you become like that god, and so to to worship this god Milcom Molech Chemosh however it's said in in various cultures, the one who demands child sacrifice you're going to become like that, and I think you see that as as an example. The the Ammonites are a, a perfect example of that in in the history that we get of them in the Old Testament, that you become like the God you worship. And this is why idolatry is, is so horrible for, for so many reasons. And the Ammonites are a, a wonderful example of that. 
Mm-hmm. Any more historical, or feel free to respond to that, and any more historical background on the, the Ammonites that we should know about, Pastor Preuss? Well, uh, I guess, yeah, the Ammonites were a thorn in the side for Israel for a very long time. Uh, I already mentioned that Solomon married uh, an Ammonite woman, and uh, it's not only that he married her, but Rehoboam, you know, that king that his folly is what led to the dividing of the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. He was the son of an Ammonite woman named uh, Nama, uh, the wife of Solomon. So uh, it's an interesting, Deuteronomy 22, there's a strong prohibition against bringing in Ammonites into the assembly. And then you have the king himself is a descendant of an Ammonite, and they're not allowed to come in for 10 generations. Uh, I mean, it shows kind of, it shows God's incredible patience and mercy. So he keeps on saying, okay, well, I'm not going to completely destroy you. I'm going to keep the temple here for the sake of my servant David, which really means like for the sake of Christ. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, they, they, they continue to be a problem. They lead people astray. Um, the reason why Israel got a king is because uh, the Ammonites king was attacking them, and not only did they fear that king, so they wanted a king to lead them, but they envied that king. They're like, well, the Ammonites have a king, and they're doing great. We want a king now, too. Uh, and this tense relationship just continues on, uh, even to after the exile. So, you know, Israel, of course, is led away, uh, like 120 years, something like that, before Jer- uh, Jerusalem is. And then Jerusalem is led away for 70 years, so they come back. And then you hear you have Ammonites mocking them when they're rebuilding the wall. Uh, so I mean, the Ammonites just don't really go away uh, for a very long time. Um, but God does punish them. This is what I was kind of struggling to, to find out uh, when I, I was studying this, is when do the Ammonites get destroyed? Now, God uses them as a tool. He does use them to, to punish uh, Israel. But when they go too far, he says, okay, I'm going to destroy you. And, but when does that happen? Does he get, he says they get led into exile. Um, in, uh, in Ezekiel 25, so is that what happens? Um, and then when? But then they, they, they keep on showing up. So my guess is they probably were punished uh, around that time by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians, uh, but the, the nation itself no longer exists, and uh, it seems to be that they were wiped out sometime around the 200s or something like that, A.D., like after Christ, and they were still around even when Jesus was on his earthly ministry. Um, Justin Martyr mentions them, uh, Justin Martyr being one of our church fathers. So um, what these curses that God lays down on them mean, uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, maybe someone else will call and say, well, I know because I've studied this much more, but uh, it, it does look like God did punish them significantly they eventually did get completely wiped out but in the time frame of when Amos is saying this and then of course you have uh, have Ezekiel talk about it 200 years later Um, and there's more than one punishment that that God lays upon the Ammonites right yeah it's it's not as that with the Ammonites it's not as clear-cut as some of the others for for example the the city of Tyre um, in two two previous was was sacked by Alexander the Great in the in the 330s BC and you can you can point to that a little more specifically than you can with the Ammonites which is which is interesting and maybe maybe takes us because I, I kind of want to come back here we've got about two minutes here before the break just to, to one comment that you made about the the faithfulness to to the line for the sake of David which really means for the the sake of Christ. And this might be a good way to just take us into the break and look at the text on the other side. But, you know, the, the reality of, of Rehoboam being a descendant of the Ammonites means that within the line of Christ, there's there's Ammonite blood, just like you see in, in other places. You know, you've got you've got Rahab from the, the city of Jericho. You've got Ruth, who was a, a Moabitess. Um, throughout the line of Christ, you see how even as the people of Israel— mess up what God said and don't follow his commands to the letter, yet he still is gracious for the sake of Christ, bringing about the salvation of the world. Um, comments with about a minute and a half before our break, Pastor Price. Well, yeah, I think that's really important. I think that this is really what, I guess, the main point about this is. I'm sure people are going to forget a lot of what the Ammonites did and, and who they were and, and such. 
But Amos, as I'm sure you know, the listeners already know by now, it's a lot of fire and brimstone. Uh, Amos is uh, a very uh, he said they had to preach law, and uh, you might get t- tired out before he gets to chapter nine. But in chapter nine, he does preach the gospel, and the thing is, he doesn't preach the gospel only to Israel. So Amos, as you know, he's this Judean uh, shepherd gets sent out, or like vine dresser, gets sent out up to Israel, which is not his nation, preaches law against them and all the nations. He hasn't even gotten to Israel yet in, in his kind of nations. But in chapter 9, he talks about uh, the peoples, plural. Uh, and that's a significant thing. So this, the, the, there's a spiritual thing. It's not just simply that God's destroying them physically, but the people of the Ammonites, the descendants of the Ammonites, uh, they have a promise to them too, that all nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's seed, and that included uh, Lot's children. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're looking at Amos chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. We need to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, October 21st, as we take a look at Amos chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 with Pastor James Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we laid out the history of the Ammonites, their relationship to the people of Israel, and how the Lord now is going to speak to them this oracle of judgment against them, which we'll go ahead and read now here in Amos chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. There's there's the text from Amos this morning, those three verses from chapter 1, the oracle against the Ammonites. And Pastor Porsche, we get some familiar uh, sayings here from, from Amos. We've heard him repeat certain things throughout chapter 1. And the first one of those is, is thus says the Lord. This is this is key to understanding the whole thing that, that Amos says here, that this is the word of the Lord. Um, go ahead and, and take us into that. Yeah, I think it's a—I I always tell my confirmation class and my Bible study that when I was in— college and seminary, I learned, I guess in high school, you learn if you're a good student, that if your uh, professor or your teacher repeats himself, then remember it. And, you know, if you're a good student, you don't even necessarily have to take notes all the time. You probably should take notes. But uh, if you just listen and notice, hey, he said that like three times today, I bet that's going to be on the test. And here you have, you have it bookmarked. So uh, verse 13, thus says the Lord. Number 15, thus says the Lord. So obviously it's a literary uh, uh, tactic to, uh, to show, like, this is, the, this is the statement for the Ammonites. Thus says the Lord, statement, thus says the Lord. But it's, like, what is it saying? It says God is saying this, not just not Amos, this shepherd from uh, Tekoa. Uh, this is God speaking to the Ammonites. And uh, so this is God's word. We should believe it. Uh, and the Ammonites should believe it. And also, it's significant, I guess you can say with all these, uh, that he's talking to them. I mean, I don't know, that's a pretty significant thing, isn't it? I mean, he's not, uh, it's one thing to send a prophet from Judah to Israel to talk to the people of Israel, but now you have, I mean, you have the Lord talking to a people who's not his people. Like, why even bother? Why, just, why don't you just destroy them? But no, the Lord talks to them. And I think this does show something. Not, not to soften the law, uh, and this, this condemnation is serious, and it's going to happen for them. 
but the Lord's talking to them. And uh, what, if God will talk to you, I think there's hope there, isn't there? Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a, it, it, it's serious in the sense that this is God's word. Uh, we aren't higher critics. We believe the Bible is the word of God, and they should listen to what the prophets saying here. But also that God is talking to the Ammonites, I think is uh, there is a, I mean, I don't want to be say something ridiculous saying, oh, there's a bit of hope in this. There is no hope in the, in the statement that he is saying. But the fact that he is talking to them uh, shows that God actually has regard for the other nations. And if he would punish them for doing evil, uh, well, maybe he will do good to them too if they will, mm. if they will repent. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's an excellent point. And I think about the relationship of a, a parent and a child and, and how often it is, and I think about my own relationship as a father to my, my children, it's those moments when I stop talking to them that that is probably when my anger has has reached its its limit, I suppose. And thinking back to my own relationship with my parents, when when they were still talking to me and, and teaching me and, and reprimanding me, then then I knew, you know, they, they were still I, I still had that. But when they stopped talking, then I knew I was in trouble. And and, and again, not to say something that we shouldn't, but the fact that the Lord is still speaking to these these nations is an example of his love toward them. And even thinking back to the the previous series that we did in the book of Exodus, that the, and I can't remember which plague it, it was now, I think it's plague seven, where the Lord tells Pharaoh, look, by now I could have wiped you off the face of the map if I had wanted to, but, but he hasn't done that yet. He continues to send his word to the people of Egypt in order that they would hear and believe, and, and in fact, some do. And so I, I think that is that is something that, that we should notice here in the book of Amos, that the fact that the Lord is willing to still speak to these nations around Israel says something about it, that, that he wants them to hear it, to repent, so that he might show them his grace, which is there, as you, you pointed out at the end of the book of Amos. So I, I, no, I think, that, I think that's not going too far. I think that's a, a helpful thing to remember even in the midst of all the, the fire and brimstone that we've got here in the book of Amos. Uh, further thoughts on that? Or? Yeah, I just, well, yeah, I, I, I just agree. I mean, it's, uh, maybe that's the reason why uh, the Ammonites weren't just completely wiped out for so long, hmm. because there were some who did hear. Um, and then also, I don't know, you mentioned kids. I was thinking, uh, this past week uh, we had a pastor's conference, or a district pastor's conference, and then I, so I was gone for a night for that, and then I was gone for a night for a confirmation retreat. And uh, my kids, like, it's like, they would rather me be scolding them <laughs> mm. and reprimanding them than for me not to be there. It's kind of just an interesting thing. I think yeah. that's a, the point that you just made is something that even a child gets. A mm. kid would rather his dad yell at him than for his dad just not to be there at all. I mean, mm. obviously there's a limit to that. And there are kids who right. wish they have an abusive dad that wish he weren't there at all. But, but uh, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good to have God talking to you. Yes, even even when he says, and again, we get this another, as you pointed out, when a teacher repeats himself, you, you should pay attention, especially when the Lord repeats himself, you should pay attention. So you get this, again, a familiar phrase for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four. So that those numbers three and four, we've, we've talked in previous episodes, we're probably not supposed to do math here, are we, Pastor Preuss? God's got a different point in mind. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think so. I think you're right. Um, I mean, you have those in Proverbs, too. He talks about, you know, six things the Lord hate and for seven and things like that. Um, but here, I think he's, because he doesn't list three or four sins, right? He just, he says for three and for four, and then he just says the one sin that they've done. Um, and that's what Luther points out, too. Uh, and I think Luther's right on this. Uh, I mean, I think Luther's right a lot of the time. But there is one thing in here, and I'll mention it later, that I, I think that he is wrong, which I say, you know, in great humility, because, I mean, Luther is the best, um, uh, you know, like sense of the apostles, but uh, I think he's just simply saying this is very severe. This is, I mean, the sin that you've committed. It's as if you did like three and for four. I mean, you've you've done a lot of sins, and this one thing is awful. Um, it's as if you did a lot of sins. I think that's kind of what it is. He's, he's, it's just emphasis. It's a way of just saying that that what you've done is really, 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 really awful. Mm. Uh, like times, uh, yes. multiplied. Right, right, and and no and no repentance for it either. It, it would seem right that that it was a right. continual, um, ongoing sin that that there was no remorse, no repentance for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, 
and we, we referenced this or we, we alluded to it at the first half of the program, the sin then that is, is pointed out here by the Lord is that they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. And as if, as if ripping open pregnant women wasn't bad enough, their purpose is, is just to expand the nation. I mean, this, this, is, this is just horrible, Pastor Preuss. It is awful, and this is what's kind of uh, interesting. Yeah, and th- that point of it, of not repenting, that's a huge point. Uh, when you don't repent of a sin, it's as if you have done the sin again. So I guess I should emphasize both of those things. Um, but yeah, uh, so this is really big. Um, Luther, is, it's interesting. Like he, what does he say? He says uh, that that there are those who say that uh, that this is a metaphor, and that they're not actually tearing open, pre- open pregnant women, but they're tearing open mountains. So I don't even know what that means to enlarge their borders. Uh, that they're ripping up the mountains and they they took them away in order to enlarge their borders. Um, I think that they are grasping at straws. But Luther seems to like, he, he says, uh, this metaphor also more correctly agrees uh, with what follows about enlarging the borders. You see these people were working with a unique crime to make an assault on the borders of the Israelites. But I'm not disturbed if anyone wants to, want to refer this to refer really to pregnant women, yet it is absurd to attribute such savagery to this people. I don't think it's absurd to attribute such savagery to this people at all. Uh, one, because it's not unheard of in war for uh, the victors to rip open pregnant women. It's happened before, and it, uh, this, it's, it's terrible. Uh, but also, as you pointed out before, people become like their gods. I mean, that's what Scripture says. Um, you know, their gods, their gods don't speak, and they don't hear, so they become dumb and mute like their gods. Well, you know, if your gods demand that children be murdered and have no pity on, on you know, a postpartum woman who has her newborn child brought to the fire, uh, then, yeah, I could, totally ima- I could totally imagine such a people who worship such a horrid god doing that to the people that they hate, if they would do that to the people that they supposedly love. So um, I do think this is a literal thing. I think that this is what the Ammonites did. I think when they conquered their people, that they would, uh, would murder women, cut open their wombs, and kill their, their babies. Um, and it is really a horrible thing. It shows the depravity of, of, of mankind. Um, obvious, and then I, I don't, also don't think that this contradicts at all with them trying to expand their borders. I mean, just think about it. I mean, your children are your future. If you don't have future soldiers, then you're not going to, or even future farmers and future shepherds. Like, how are you going to be able to keep your borders where they are? So um, they're attacking civilization itself. They're attacking the home, uh, not just the soldiers. And uh, I mean, what is the military for except to defend its own borders? And here you have the homes within the borders are being attacked. So I think it's a literal thing. Um, and I don't think it's unique to the Ammonites. And um, I, mean, I guess it, you kind of have to point out that this thing continues even today. I mean, when, when you talk about abortion, um, the killing of unborn children, I mean, obviously there's a huge difference in the sense that uh, for the most part, you don't have women, you know, being brutally murdered. Um, although that does happen as well, especially when you look at like, forced abortions. Uh, both like in China, as we've heard a lot of, and then also in our country where uh, women and young girls are, are pressured into and forced into it in very dangerous situations. Um, but this is, this is a problem with uh, a depravity being, being far away from God that you would kill children, to kill babies. Um, it, it's a very, very wicked thing to do. Uh, and, uh, and it angers God. And he punishes nations that do it. And I think we as the United States of America, I mean, we, it's kind of interesting. People who go to church tend to be very patriotic. Uh, I really think that we need to be praying for patience and mercy. Uh, God's, uh, we shouldn't confuse God's patience for a slowness to act. He's given us a lot of time to repent, a lot of time. And we've been given, what, two generations to uh, turn back well, I guess it depends when you say abortion started in our nation. But he's given us a lot of time to turn back the tides, and we should be continuing to pray for more, for more time, 
of God's patience and mercy and pray that we can turn the hearts of the people of this country, that we can undo this horrid thing of killing our unborn children, uh, that it would not be acceptable uh, in anyone's mind uh, because God does punish nations for their sins. Um, it's, a, it's a misconception that God doesn't punish people temporally. But he absolutely does. And the United States is a great nation. It's a powerful nation. It's a big country. Everything's great. As you like to say, well, uh, God has dashed the uh, most powerful nations in the world to the ground. So the United States needs to repent of its, of its wickedness, along with all the other Western countries that practice abortion, uh, and pray that God will be patient with us, because his wrath is real. Uh, and as he destroyed the Ammonites, as he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, as he destroyed Tyre and Sidon, as he uh, destroyed Babylon and Assyria and Persia and Greece and, and the Romans, uh, he can certainly destroy the United States of America. And it, it I mean, wouldn't tire him out at all. So uh, we hear, he, he hears warning against the Ammonites. This isn't just an old thing that it doesn't matter anymore because the Ammonites don't exist. We can hear it and say, wow, what we should wake up to. That, it's a very, very sobering text indeed. Um, and, and what you said there with, with Luther, you know, that it would be absurd to attribute such savagery to people. I, there are times where I just I marvel that there is such savagery in the world. And of course, the, the danger is to recognize that, that such savagery would exist in, in my own heart as well, if, if not for God's grace. But, but to yeah, just the, the absolute horror of, of abortion. And, and two, as I, as I read here in, in Amos chapter one, verse 13, the purpose of, of enlarging their borders, you know, I can't, maybe you can hear the, the king of, of Ammon saying, you know, make, make the Ammonites great again, or something like that, that, that this practice of ripping open the pregnant women was, was being put forward as, as a good thing for the people of Ammon. This is going to help secure our future. And and how often do we do we hear reasons like that put forward for the the practice of abortion as if somehow killing our children is is going to to help us for for whatever purpose you know we don't want we don't want this this child to suffer in poverty or or we don't want this child to suffer um, from a from some illness or something like that and so abortion is a good choice and and just the the total backwards thinking that is involved in it. You see it here in Amos chapter one and you see it, you see it still today. So, so, so yeah, such savagery has, has happened before and it's still happening now. And, and you're exactly right. We must pray for God's mercy and, and patience that, that we might reverse that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's sobering. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and, yeah. And also too, I mean, even like we who are pro-life, things like that, you know, we have our children things and all that knowing that this evil does rest within our hearts. And that's why we have to repent every day. Uh, and uh, those who do commit these acts are, and they're cut from the same cloth as we are. Uh, and by God's grace, he has brought us out of this. You know, and to pray for mercy for the people who've been affected by it. I mean, uh, you know, a poor girl who's pressured into something. I mean, I'm not denying that she's sinned. Um, but uh, I, mean, I can't have, can have mercy and, and pity on these people. Uh, but pity never never involves, you know, tearing apart a child limb from limb. Uh, that just simply is never never appropriate. And uh, so we uh, we can show compassion and uh, and also at the same time uh, follow God's law and uh, and be faithful to Him and, and pray for mercy. Mm, yeah, and and be ready with with the gospel with when there is repentance. I mean that that's got to be a key. I think you you said earlier, you know that it, the problem is is that we are far away from God, and the only thing that's going to to draw us back to Him ultimately is is the gospel. And so to be ready to speak that when there is repentance, recognizing again, as you, you said, that own repentance that we are in need of, that this is what dwells within us as well, um, making the gospel all the more necessary as as ultimately what what the world needs and that the only thing that can finally, you know, do something about this. Yeah. Well, it goes back again, the Lord, thus says the Lord. Why? Mm. Why is he speaking? Well, it's because he's trying to communicate something. He's trying to bring about repentance. And this is what uh, I think people just, they miss so much. We don't, nobody wants to hear the law. Well, yeah, of course you don't want to hear the law. They shut off their ears before they can hear the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. It, it, it needs to occur to them that if God is speaking to you, then he wants you to hear. And why would he want you just to hear that, you know, there's no hope? Uh, so it's always to bring repentance while there is time for repentance, uh, while, while you still have breath. And, uh, and of course, as you'll see in, in Amos chapter 9, he does bring the gospel. Uh, I mean, this is the hardest book in the Bible to read when it comes to that, because he, he makes you have to go through a lot before he finally gets to it. But um, there is gospel. There is, there is light in Christ. Yes, yes, there is. And, and, and in the meantime, we still here in, in Amos chapter 1, we, we have that the rest of the, the text, right, that's going to, to drive us there. So the, there's the sin that's been described in, in verse 13. And then the Lord, as we've heard again, here's, here's more of that repetition that we should pay attention to. We have fire again in this, in this oracle. This is the fifth time now that fire has been promised. A bit of escalation here in verse 14, not just send fire as it was in the first four, but now that he's going to kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbi, he said that's the, the capital. It shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle. You get this, this phrase here. I think we should pick up on verse 14, the day of battle and the day of the whirlwind, that this is the first time we really heard about the day, and that's going to become an important theme for for Amos, particularly as you get later on, that this day of the Lord is coming. And we we get a hint of it already here in chapter 1. And then in verse 15, their king shall go into exile. And just real quick to to point out, and I think you you mentioned this previously, Pastor Preuss, that Milcom is the name of the of the false god or one of the names of the false gods of the Ammonites, which is very similar to the Hebrew word that's used here for their king. And so perhaps there's a bit of a play on words going on in the in the Hebrew. Their king shall go into exile, their God shall go into exile. Maybe a bit of a play on words there in in Hebrew. Pastor Price, I have said a bunch. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I no, I, I think that's all right. Uh the I mean He's, I think he's talking about a real historical military conquest. Uh, I mean, you, you can compare this with the destruction of Jerusalem, right? Uh, a fire is actually kindled within, and the temple is burned down. And what do we? Uh, why does Jesus tell of the, the destruction of Jerusalem? Why is it such a significant thing? It takes so much time, and even in our church here, well, it's because uh, it is. If, and why does he mix it so much with? He's talking about the end of the world. Because well, it's a prophecy of the end of the world. You look at the destruction of Jerusalem, and you see God's divine judgment. And you see the destruction of Rabbah, and you see uh, God's judgment, the day. It's a day of judgment that's coming. Which, again, why, it, it, again, it uh, relates to us. That day has not come yet, but it is coming. Just as it did in a, um, uh, I guess, in a typological sense uh, to these, to these nations and to their capital cities. Judgment is coming, so repent. Um, and uh, you can't see that too. It's like the, like the one thing of a fire. Yeah, you can totally see you know, a nation laying fire to a city and stuff like that, and the shouts of victory. Yeah, of course, yeah, but there's going to be a lot of shouting when the um, soldiers come in. But then tempest and whirlwind. Well, like, you know, the Babylonians like, can't control the weather. <laughs> And neither can the Arabs or whoever it is who, who, who destroys them, the Syrians or whatever. I mean, no, we, uh, so this is God's judgment. Um, and then their king shall go into exile. Yeah, right. Milcom. It's interesting in Luther's commentary, it says Milcom, but then he says, well, it really should be uh, translated as their king goes into uh, exile. And it says, furthermore, Milcom was a god of the Ammonites. Uh, so he, yeah, I mean, it, it, he is the king. Their God. I mean, their their king's going is probably one of his roles is to defend their God, but um, this is God's judgment against a nation that has forsaken Him, and it's a judgment against their false god. Uh, their God that they trusted in will also go into exile. Their king that they trusted in, their king who's uh, who led Israel itself to demand an earthly king, will be taken into exile. And yet the Lord will remain, and His King will still stand. It's like uh, Psalm Psalm two, you know, Behold, I have set my King on my holy hill. So uh, Milcom, the, the false god, well, he'll go into exile, uh, and their King, he'll go into exile. But the Lord of Hosts, He will remain uh, and rule forever, and His King is set on Zion, His holy hill, and will not be moved. Uh, so you, uh, 
yeah, you have a lot of it's a lot of eschatological, like end times thing, judgment, and God uh, ruling overall. Pastor Bryce, we have just under three minutes left this morning. Help us summarize this text and and also see Christ within this text and, and in the larger scope of Amos. Yeah, well, the Ammonites are a very interesting people, uh, especially when you I mean, they pop up so often and for such a short period of time, it's easy to ignore them. But if you read through Scripture, it also is impossible to ignore them because they're always there. Um, and God uses them. He punishes them severely. Uh, he warns against them, but at the same time says, don't destroy them yet. Uh, he uses them to discipline Israel and actually then leads Israel to repentance. Uh, they are intrinsically part of Israel's history, both in what I just said, that they, they, they're attacking them, leads them to, uh, uh, his discipline from the Lord leads them to repentance, that God raises up a judge to help them. Uh, they are biologically part of them, not only with Lot being related to Abraham, but also with an Ammonite uh, being the wife of Solomon. Uh, and they, they affect them in many ways. They also are the, the receptors of God's punishment. It shows that God's punishment is real. Uh, he cares about the nations enough to punish them, to judge them. Uh, but as we'll see in chapter 9, I'm sure all of your guests are mentioning chapter 9 a lot, uh, the gospel is coming. That God spoke to the Ammonites, uh, and that he speaks to us. We should hear, even when they're harsh words, uh, because he speaks to us so that we'll listen, so that we'll repent. We should know that God's punishment is real, but we should also know that his salvation in Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of the Ammonites, uh, is, uh, is certain, and that God uh, has sent him, that he died for our sins, and that uh, when he's lifted up, he has gathered all people to himself. So all people even today are gathered around the cross of Christ, uh, who has come to save all people, including the Ammonites, including us. And there is no sin whether you call it three or four, uh, that can uh, overcome the blood of Christ. Uh, and, uh, and that's our hope, is, is Christ Jesus. So let's repent, as we certainly hope the Ammonites would, and uh, let's trust in Jesus. Pastor James Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Pastor Preuss, thank you for your time. Hey, thank you. When the Lord right. speaks, it is out of love. Even when he speaks against our great transgressions, he does so that we might hear his word, repent, and then hear his gospel that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. It is a joy to hear that word here with you on Sharper Iron. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.